Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And I'm telling you, I have got a guy on here that I have been excited to talk to for a good while. Simon Parsons is not a life coach. Now, I'm, I'm telling you, if you do not want a life coach and you do not somewhat want someone to help you kind of walk through life, then don't hire Simon. He's a Thrive Coach. If that's what you're looking for, Simon is your guy. You can find him on LinkedIn at Simon Parsons, P-A-R-S-O-N-S, but you can find him right here, right now on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Simon, what's good, man? How you doing? What's good is I'm here with you, my friend. I have been waiting for this for a while, too. I am looking forward to this. I love the energy that you bring, and that's right. I love to thrive. I do not believe in just existing. I believe that we need to make the most out of this life, the most out of this precious time that we've been given. And yeah, I'm not a life coach. I want to help people live with passion and do the best that they can to help other people to live a life with abundance. And I appreciate getting to know you via LinkedIn. And thank you so much for having, having me here, man, Simon, dude, you, you have brought it from the word go. So let's start there. What does thrive mean to you? Because most people would say, okay, thrive. And they take the other word of that. The other, the opposite word of that is survive. In the last year, it's all been about hunkering down. It's been about slowing the spread as we record this in the midst of COVID-19. And people have literally been in survival mode. But that's not how you think. Tell me the difference in how people that, that think with a thrive mindset act versus how people think with a survive mindset act. I think that that's a perfect description. Thrive means to uh, do well in challenging circumstances, right? Survive means you're, you're just going to get by to cope, right? If you look up thrive in the dictionary and you look up cope, they're going to have very similar definitions. Cope to me sounds exactly how you're describing it. You're surviving, you're getting through it, Right. Thrive means that you are in a difficult situa situation, but you're going to come out ahead. And it's interesting that you bring up COVID because that's a perfect example. Uh, I think this leans into like abundance versus scarcity mindset, right? So as soon as COVID hit, people were running for the shelves. They were running to grab as much as they could get. They were thinking very much about themselves and just like you know, storing things up, like hunkering down, surviving, getting as much toilet paper that would, you know, wipe your ass for five years, right? Dude, like, I've got, I've got like, uh, I'm telling you, man, literally 10 feet away from me, I've got the the toilet paper that my wife bought probably six months ago that we sh that we shored or shelved up out here where I am. So man, <laughs> you're 100% you're right, dude. 
Yeah, and, and I mean, the toilet paper situation was a good uh, reminder of like our our mindsets go to scarcity. Our mindsets go to, to survival. When things are unpredictable, when we feel like we can't control things, it makes people really nervous, right? And kind of the way to lean into that is through an abundance mindset. And so um, one of the tenets of abundance mindset is to try to expand in contracting circumstances. So whether it's the Great Recession, you know, where, where everything seems to be going south, the people who did the best were the ones who started investing and buying, right? The people that yeah. did the worst and the most damage, they were panicking and they were selling. So when circumstances appear to be contracting, that, that's the time when you need to flourish. That's the time when you need to thrive. That's the time when you need to lean in and get a little uncomfortable, right? Like that, that could be a life changer for, for so many people if they would just lean in, right? If everybody you know, started sharing and started giving a little bit more instead of like trying to hunker down and stay in that safe shelter and try to uh, collect as much stuff as they can to get by. If everybody was just, you know, allowing that flow of abundance to, to move, then we'd all be doing a lot better, right? Like the great recession was not a shortage of money. It was a lack of circulation, right? Like people stopped having trust People, you know, they got freaked out. They made decisions from a place of fear rather than the decisions made from a place of power. So, yeah, Brian, I think that you described that perfectly. Like, it's it's a survival mentality versus a creator, right? Like, how dude, I gotta I gotta jump in, man. I got sure. to jump in. You you are you're just killing it right now, and I don't mean to 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 slow your roll there, but here's the thing, man. And I and I said this in a post. And you just, you hit it right there. We saw decisions being made from leaders out of a place of fear. And I, and I termed it feardership. It wasn't leadership. It looked nothing like leadership. It was all, oh my gosh, everybody in, in, in your state, my state, every other state around us is going to get COVID if we don't lock everything down. And, and basic human, you know, basic human science says that viruses have always been around us. And I'm not trying to get political here, but you hit on it. And it was like, these people that tell us they're leaders were doing nothing to show leadership. And you're exactly right. It was that abundance versus scarcity mindset. A leader that has character and conviction leads with abundance. We're going to get through it. We know we can handle this. It may get tough, but we're going to handle it. A leader that operates in a scarcity mindset. And I love what you said there. So what I was thinking was a leader that operates in a scarcity mindset goes, oh my God, batting down the hatchets. Th this is going to get bad. This is going to get nasty. You know, it's like the old, remember when we were in school and we were kids and they did the tornado drill where everybody had to hold their, their head up and they put a book over their head. Like if a tornado hit, like that's exactly what you were going to do. And it's like, no, that's not what you're going to do, right? Like you're going to get under a desk or you're going to try to find safety. I love what you said about fear being a controlling factor. When you're coaching somebody, I want to go here. When you're coaching someone, how hard is it for you to take fear out of play? I don't try to take fear out of play. <clears throat> I try to lean. I, first, you got to understand what fear is, right? Like courage isn't the absence of fear. It's acting in spite of fear. 
fear is to, to go a little deeper on what you just said about fear is like your actions when they're taken from a place of fear, completely different than actions taken from a powerful place, right? If you are, you know, uh, thinking about leaving your job, but you're hanging on because of fear, your actions are going to be completely different than if you do it from a place of power, right? Like if you decide that you, this isn't for you and you're not, your, your actions and your decisions aren't controlled by that. But I think every fear is so natural. I mean, that's how we were designed. Our brains, you know, a big function of our brains, Brian, is to keep us sheltered, to keep us in a tribe, right? Yeah. Like in prehistoric times, we had to worry about, you know, keeping warm, getting food, getting shelter and being part of a tribe. Now we still let those things influence us now. And it, it doesn't mean the pull it's, I, I don't know how easy it is to eliminate fear because that's just the way that your brain works, but you can, you can understand that, right? Like I think tribalism, you know, we tend to do things because we're, you know, our subconscious mind is so afraid of being kicked out of a tribe. But those threats aren't even real. I mean, that's why people are afraid to post on social media, how they truly feel because they're afraid of being judged, which is a prehistoric, like from our prehistoric brain, that's just basically because of tribalism, of that need to be a part of a group, right? So these things that were, you know, our brain was wired a certain way in prehistoric times, those still impact us today, even though the threats are completely different. And I think, you know, talking about leaders and scarcity mindset, one of the things that they do is they try to get, you know, it's like, we gotta take care of our own, right? Well, who's yeah. our own? Like we're humans. Like the, our own to me is the human race, right? Or even any animal on this planet or this planet itself, right? But we we, we get that fear mindset and then it, it causes us to think about like, you know, oh, I've got to take care of like my own. And then that puts walls up, right? And that stops that flow of abundance. But yeah, to, to answer your question, I think like I don't try to coach people to avoid fear or to try to get rid of it, but to understand where it comes from and to be able to lean into that. Right. Well, and here's what I wrote down, Simon. I wrote down how actions differ in the presence of fear because I, I see people that, that, that are fearful and I've seen myself in, in a place of fear. I didn't act normally. Right. Like I remember like four years ago, when I went through a job loss and I was out of work for six months and I look back and I go, man, I wasn't myself. Like myself is confident. Myself is, is connecting and outgoing and egregious. And, and I try to be energetic. But when, when I was operating in fear, I wasn't any of those things, man. There were days I was crying on the floor. Like, why is this happening to me? Like, like I'm scared I'm not going to work again. And that's, that's the antithesis of who I really am. And so, man, I love that. And that's why I had to write that down because actions, you, you were, you were so on target. Our actions, we don't act like we normally act when we've got fear surrounding us. So how do we, let me ask you this and we'll, we'll step aside and take a break after, after your answer, but what causes people to finally get out of fears out of how did, how did they finally flee fear in their lives? Is that the right way to ask that? I guess I, I, I feel like I didn't ask that the right way. I, I just don't think you really, 
flee it. You just learn to navigate it a little bit better. But I mean, there's real dangers, right? I think the first step is like to assess, is this, is this a real threat? Is this, you know, is harm going to come to me? And if not, like, let's talk about it, right? I think a lot of people's fears are, they, people fear things that don't exist. And a lot of that's around judgment or it creates limiting beliefs. And it's, you know, the first way to navigate that is to be able to say it out loud. And if you have a coach or even a friend or partner, accountability partner, a lot of times the fears that we worry about, once they're vo vocalized, when you say it to somebody else, you can almost see that it's an untruth, right? Yeah. But yeah, there's some valid fears out there and we've got to be careful. I mean, our brain is still there designed to, you know, keep us away from danger. And sometimes threats are bigger than others. But I, I think that most people are just afflicted with fears that 90% of the time don't even, maybe 95% of the time they don't even manifest, right? <clears throat> they end up controlling us and keeping us from playing a bigger game. So kind of the context with fear that I deal the most with is more limiting beliefs, right? Like imposter syndrome, fear of, of not being enough, fear of judgment, stuff like that. And that's, that's kind of like my area that I, my core area, but I think, you know, it, it, to sum it up, it depends on the type of fear that you're talking about. Like when you lose your job, yes, that's very, that's a very real threat, right? And that can cause you to freeze up. But I think, you know, start with the small stuff, learn how to lean into fears and be able to act inspired, right? Like that's going to rattle anybody. But if you lean in on the small stuff, you get, you, you start building neural pathways to be able to process things. Instead of sitting on the couch, you're asking, well, what, what can I do? Instead of focusing on the problems, you start focusing on the solution. So you start building that mindset, like with the smaller stuff, you start with the, the little dangers and then work your way up and be able to navigate bigger fears a, a, a lot better. Dude, that is so good. That is so good. Let's step aside, take a quick break. When we come back, Simon's going to tell us what full sendology means. You're going to want to hear the definition of full sendology. Back in a moment here with Simon Parsons on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Hey everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you as a business owner can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Simon. What's up, bro? Full send. When, when you post something, Use the hashtag full send. And I love that. So I want to know what the definition of full send really means. Awesome. That's a great question. Full send is a term that was coined by like extreme athletes, right? 
So think of an extreme skier going all out. They're going down the slope. They're going to hit a jump and they just give it all regardless of if they're going to land it or not. Right. They go big. They are 100% all in. I first, the, the first time I used that term in the context of content creation was I was talking about a story of when I was a kid, you know, we were probably in sixth or seventh grade. We were standing around and watching, um, you know, we were going off this ramp that we built. We, you know, we got a piece of plywood and we got some cinder blocks and we were launching onto the grass with this ramp, right? All kids do that. Dude, I'm telling you, I'm having terrible flashbacks because I did that when I was about six or seven doing the jump in the ramp and I missed the other ramp and I wrecked my bike and knocked my two front teeth out. (laughs) So I'm having terrible flashbacks, but no, I know exactly what you mean, man. I had to jump in there because I was like, oh no, man, this is taking me back to my childhood. Oh geez. The stuff we did when we were kids, man, that is so totally dumb and stupid. And we were like, we had never let our kids do that. But our parents, for some reason, like, yeah, cinder block and a piece of plywood just is really safe. Go for it. And if you wanted an extra degree of difficulty, you got the real narrow two by four just for the extra degree of difficulty to see if you could land on the two by four. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so we're all we're all jumping off this thing, right? Like we um, doing our rollerblades, going on the grass. So it wasn't a lot of danger for us that were on rollerblades, but there was a a new kid on the block with a shiny new BMX, and you know yeah. he definitely wanted to show that off. So he's like, "I'm gonna hit that hard. Yeah. I'm gonna like show these guys what's up." So he goes coasting down the street. He gets, you know, he first hits the ramp, and this thing is probably like four feet up, and he's just like, "Shit." <laughs> I, I don't know if I'm going to land this. So what he does is he slams on the brakes, right? Yeah. Front tire goes off, back tire still on the ramp. He goes forward, legs split between the middle, hits the, you know, the head of that, the, the stem of that bike. And then he falls on his face. Gnarliest wreck I've ever seen, at least, you know, in person. And we all just sit, sit there. Oh my God, that's got to hurt. That's got to hurt. Uh, so that's where full send came from. And it means like, if you're going to go down that ramp, do not hit the brakes. Like, well, we all thought we were evil can evil, right? When you grow yeah. up as a, as a child of the seventies, you see evil can evil. And you're just like, you're at that point in midair and you're like, I'm evil, man. I know what evil can evil feels like, even though you may have been three feet off the ground. Like I know what evil can evil feels like. And you felt like you were soaring through the air and you're like, all right, man, this is a glory moment. And then if you, if you hit the, if your front tire of your bike hits the front of that plywood, it's it's over because that thing is going to kick back and that's where the wreck happens. Or if you go long and you and you kind of overshoot the plywood so you can kind of coast down a little bit, you're like, oh man, I overshot it. And then you're just torpedoing down with no control. But if you hit it, if you hit it just right, man, in the middle of the plywood, that was a sweet spot where we would hit it and you just kind of coast down. And that was your victory, man. It was like, yeah, we we aced it. So dude, the kid you're talking about, man, I, I knew kids like that in my neighborhood that would do that, man. That would be like four feet off the ground. Like, Oh man, he's going to nail it. And they're like, Oh crap. He's going to yeah. miss it and bite the dust, man. Right. And we've all done that too. And what, I guess the point behind that and why I came up with full send, it just reminded me of that term from extreme sports. And I started using that in my content, basically talking about like, you know what, like, yeah, you don't need to go off every jump, but if you are going to do it, 
do it with conviction because when you're half in and half out, that's where the damage can occur. Like assess the situation as best as you can. And you know, you're going to have some fear, right? But you've got to like be willing to accept like wiping out, right? You're more likely to wipe out if you don't do a full send. If you go all in, if you know what you're doing and you've assessed the situation, you'll most likely land it, but there is that danger, but you're acting in spite of the danger. Again, going back to what you talked about, fear, right? Courage isn't the lack of fear. It's acting in spite of the fear and the, the consequences. They could be there, but you've got to take that risk. You've got to be able to roll the dice sometimes. And if you do, you've got to go all in. That's the mindset of full send. Yeah, because you're not going to ride that bike. And, and, and listen, man. I, again, I love that analogy, and, and I want to just pull a little more conversation. When when we were riding bikes and doing that, you had guys that would would start pedaling really fast to hit that ramp, right? And then all of a sudden, something inside them stopped, and they just they hit the brakes just really quick, and they're like, "What are you doing, dude? Ah, I'm not going to do that." Something in in the time they took off, from the time they took off to where they hit the brakes. Something within them was like, this is not a good idea. So to your point about being half in or half out, that was that point where they were like, no, I'm not all in. And so they pull back, right? And so something internally causes people. What have you found that causes people to hit the brakes after they start accelerating to something they're going after full send? Uh, it just goes back to fear, you know, fear of failure, right? Like I think most people are, they're half sending it from the get-go, right? They're, you think about that, like, uh, you know, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to kind of do this, like, you know, I'm going to see what happens if, like, I put something out there. And they'll do, like, a very tepid, um, you know, send, meaning, like, they just put it out there without, like, that full enthusiasm, right? They withhold their full self. And that, you know, ultimately, it's that fear of either judgment or of failure, a lot of people don't even get going in the first place, but a lot of people are like kind of half in, half out. Like, let's yeah. throw it out there. Let me, you hear this a lot, right? Like, let me dip my toes in the water. Yep. If you dip your toes in the water, you're not most likely not, not going to get a whole lot out of it. And then you're going to think, well, geez, yeah, I might not be good at this. Like, if you haven't given your full send, like, how do you know how good you're going to be at it? If you half send it, then like, that's the results you're going to get, right? Yeah. In sales, like if you're not giving your all in, and you get half of a return and then you think that's what sales is like, that become like you basically confirmed like your, your reality by doing that. Like your thoughts are like, Hey, I'm, I'm not sure about this. Your actions are like half send your results are half send. So then you just confirm to yourself, like, this isn't for me. Right. Yeah. The only way you're going to really find out is you, if you full send it. hundred percent. You may get beat up. You may lose. You may fail. You may feel like you're getting judged but at least you did it. At least you put it out there and you're going to recover. You're, you might wipe out, but you're going to get up and go again. And if you can do that, it gives you confidence. Man, that's so good. Um, Simon, this is a family show. I think I know what this terminology means, but tell me what a master's in NGAF, what others think. I think it stands for not giving a four-letter F word, and we're going to keep it clean here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I would say flip. I would say not giving a flip. When you when you think about why people give a flip, what does it mean to you 
why people care about what others think they should do or not do. Because I love this. A master's in not giving a flip. I love that, man, because that takes a real contrarian mindset to just be all in or full send on NGAF, right? Yeah, absolutely. Again, this, so this is a perfect example of tribalism, right? It's that fear of being judged. And most people don't realize this, but this is like our wiring in our brain is to want to fit in, right? And when you're a kid, you kind of like think about a kid growing up, like you're so free spirited. When you're, you, you think about your son when he was, you know, four or five, six years old, I want to be a fireman. I want to be the president of the United States. I want to be a police officer. I want to you know, they're unlimited, right? And then as you start growing older, you start being told no all the time. And you're in a very malleable state when you're young. And that's where like limiting beliefs start. And then you get judged at school, right? I think one big issue is as we grow up, like we've been so bombarded with advertising, telling people what they should look like, what they should buy, what they should have to, to look good or to be able to fit in, right? You get dumped by a boyfriend or girlfriend. All these things are wounds that you have that you develop over time. You weren't like that. You were the kid going off the jump full send when you were four or five, six years old. As you get older, those wounds, they hurt, right? That you feel rejected. You feel like you're not enough. You feel like you've got to do or be or buy things to keep up or to be accepted. And what happens is you build these scars up over time and these wounds, and then it holds you back. It makes you afraid of being judged. But I think NGAF is just like learning that like, you're, you're going to be okay. Like people aren't spending as much time as you think they are thinking about you. I think that's the biggest thing that you realize, like you can be whoever you want if you're on social media and you want to be authentic and you start leaning into that, you'll start to realize that you get a lot of encouragement. And there's a lot more people that will support you than you think that will judge you, right? Like people who every successful podcast or influencer, I'm sure you've experienced this, right? Like you get someone trolling your stuff and you tend to zone in on that and you're not paying attention to the hundred people that are telling you you're doing an amazing job. So I think that's what, that's kind of the core between NGAF is to be able to realize like, you know, there's going to be a lot more supporters, a lot more people that will encourage you if you just lean into being authentic. If you lean into being yourself, who you truly are, you will have people that resonate with you and support you. But you you might at times get people judging you. A lot of times those people are hurt themselves. Yeah. But I actually count my trolls. Like, yeah, it, you know, each time I get one, it means that my voice is getting out there, right? So I actually count the trolls. <laughs> and I think it's just, it's fun to, to see that. And I feel like I'm kind of like, I want to be the champion of getting people to be more willing to be themselves, to get back to that child version of themselves, the adult version of the child inside of them. Those dreams and goals, visions that you had why should you be holding yourself back from trying to achieve those right now? And how can I get you aligned to that child version of yourself, right? That superhero, that police officer, that president of the United States, that astronaut, the fireman, the firewoman, right? Get back to that. Stop holding yourself back based on what you think other people think of you, which usually is an untruth as well. I said that before is a lot of times our fears aren't even true. A lot of times we're worried about what people think and, Honestly, a lot of people, you know, they aren't really giving you as much thought as your fears would warrant. No, you're 100% right. And here's the thing. If somebody is trolling you, most of the time you're doing something they're not, and it's a reaction of jealousy. It's a, re it's a, it's a reaction of, you know, I have the, I have the intestinal fortitude 
to do it. And, and I'm trolling you because I don't have the intestinal fortitude to do it. So yeah, I, man, I love that. And I wrote that down counting the trolls because Simon, you're hundred percent, right. It's, it's that you can't care what people like. I, I don't go to bed at night going, I wonder what my community on LinkedIn thought about my post. I, I, like, and I tell my son this, I have the millisecond theory. And, and a lot of times when I'm in that mode, I'm like, I'm going to apply the millisecond theory, which is I'm going to lose about a millisecond of sleep tonight worrying about that situation. And that's what I tell my kid. I'm like, you, you've got to, you got to apply the millisecond theory. But now I'm going to tell, I'm going to tell him, I'm going to be like, listen, you got to, you got to apply the NJAF theory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the NJAF postulate is what we'll call it, man. This is so good. Hey, we'll step aside, take a break. We come back. I want to tell Simon's story. He's got an amazing story. You're going to get to know Simon Parsons probably like you haven't gotten to know him before. And it's an honor for me to share his story on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back in a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person. My dad, my dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew. And he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25 year sales and sales management, customer engagement and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger deeper and more powerful connector. You've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up. Kindle, if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email. And I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of people buy from people. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Simon, let's get into your story, man. And I would be remiss if we didn't spend the last 15 minutes or so of the podcast telling your incredible story, man. So you go back as far as you want to go from point A to how you got here and uh, just riff on your story, man. Sure. I really appreciate that, Brian. I appreciate you asking. I would say uh, we could start with high school, right? I, I don't know why. I just remember myself walking to school and just you know, wondering what my life would look like. I actually thought that I would be live a very average life. Thought I'd grow up and, you know, who knows, work in a factory, just do something that was uninspiring. I didn't really see myself as having like a level 10 life. And then I got a job as a, a busboy at the Salt Lake Country Club. And that was a game changer for me. I started, um, I worked my way up from a busboy to a server, to a bartender, and then to a manager. But what I saw there, Brian, was just, you know, people just had different views on abundance, money, wealth, uh, 
careers, right? What they could accomplish. But I was around some very, very high performing people. And, you know, like going into that job, I remember thinking, oh, great, I'm going to be around a lot of snobby people, a lot of arrogant, rich people. What I found was that the majority of them were really down to earth. A lot of them had worked their way into those positions, Mm -hmm. but I was surrounded by very, very successful people. And I was mentored by a few of them as well. Uh, I even dated uh, one of the member's daughters for a while. And I just saw her, you know, she seemed to live a bigger life than most of the people that I was surrounded with. And it was really inspiring. And what I got from that is, is basically that we're all the same. It's just that we hold ourselves back. We have beliefs, you know, a lot of us that live, you know, what we think are average lives or, you know, a lot of that comes from our childhood and our beliefs, the people that we were around, what our parents were telling us. And it shapes our views of the world. And like I said, you know, like your actions, you know, not only if they're based on fear or power, but like based on your view of the world, if you don't think you're capable, the game's over because you don't even start that, you don't take the action in the first place. Yeah. If you don't believe that you're capable of great things, it's over before it even starts. That's why uh, a lot of people talk about beliefs because belief is the seed of action. Action doesn't guarantee you're going to get there, but without belief, you're not going to even take those actions in the first place. So to sum it up, I I was surrounded with a lot of very successful people and kind of saw how they viewed uh, life a little bit differently. Uh, and then I started replicating and I started realizing that I was capable more. I, I started thinking bigger. I started doing things differently and learning a lot more. I got really into personal development, but what's crazy, Brian, is like my programming from my childhood of just thinking that I was going to be average. I mean, I didn't know this at the time, but I had a dissonance between who I felt I could be with my conscious brain and with what my subconscious viewed you know, my worth as. And so I kind of had a path of like ups and downs for, for quite a while. Like I'd build a business, I'd start making really good money. And then I, my subconscious would lead me down a path where I would blow it up. And that had happened several times until I started really getting dialed in with mindset and then being able to kind of rewrite some of that, um, subconscious wiring. And I think, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if I felt like I made my parents proud. So that caused me to seek external validations a lot when I was younger. Um, I wanted to be the cool kid. I started DJing so that I could like be the rock star, right? Like I I was always trying to outperform and and seek reward in sales, wanting to be the rep who hit P club or be the best rep. So I think there was some good stuff that came from it, but ultimately like what I learned is like the internal rewards are the best, the person that you become. And so when you, Simon, let me jump in here. When you talked about, you, you said I had a path of ups and downs. And, and I think most people that listen to the two of us talk can say, yeah, life had its ups and downs. But you said something there that, that was that you, you were able to pinpoint it in your life. In other words, let me make, I want to make sure that, that I get it right, processing what you just said. What I heard you say was what I thought I could be was far different than what I was doing. And it caused me to take a path to try to make the two to two mar- the two roads marry and caused a lot of ups and downs. As you think about that, what type of internal struggles did you find in the ups and downs that really that really kind of set you in this different direction? 
I think the worst was like, for me, there was a moment, Brian, when I was 30 years old and I mean, I had give, I'd been given so many opportunities. I've been around so many, so many of the right people, but like I made decisions, you know, based on wanting those external validations, like, you know, being su su successful trading stocks or buying things to look a certain way. And I just remember like, I, you know, during the, the dot-com meltdown, I remember like, my finances falling down around me. I remember like ending up in a hundred thousand dollars of debt and like, I was, I was, you know, nearly 30 years old. And I was like, how, how did I get myself to this point? I remember Brian, there's a moment I looked in the mirror. And I was like, how did you get here? I was so embarrassed and so disappointed in myself for leading my, for having all these tools and, and, and nothing major, no major traumas in my life. But yet here I was, almost 30 years old, $100,000 in credit card debt because of bad decisions around investing and trying to get to a good place. And part of that was, you know, the lifestyle too, like trying to look a certain way or be a certain person when really that was something that I shouldn't have done. Ultimately, it was a good lesson though. And I was able to turn that around in less than a year. Like I, I think the turning point for me, Brian, was like, you know, I was faced with potential bankruptcy or looking in the mirror and saying, you got yourself into this, Simon, you're going to get yourself out. Like, I don't care if it takes the rest of your life, you're going to pay off every, every cent that you borrowed and you're going to learn the lesson. So that was a big pivotal point was just taking accountability. For you that. know something that I I'm so glad you brought that up that to me, and, and I don't hear enough people call it what it is. So I, I'm going to, I'm going to call it a term that I think it is. It's high school reunion syndrome. You want to go back to your high, your 10-year high school reunion. That's the first one most people go back to. And they go, man, I want to show my classmates that I made bank. I want to show my classmates that I did this or I did that. And I'm successful and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I'm getting a picture in my mind, in my mind Simon, as you're talking about it. You were talking about, you know, building up this, this, almost personal kingdom if i could if i could use that terminology and being a hundred thousand in debt to to try to sustain a lifestyle that that just came crashing down around you and you decided to turn it around what was the moment that you remember where you said today it stops and it stops here and i'm going on the full send path the other way to getting myself where i really want to go so it, it must have been New Year's Eve, like 2005, like it was turning 2005. I did. I remember so clearly it was that moment. Like the, the turning point was when I looked in the mirror and I was so just embarrassed about what had happened. Like it just hit to the point where like it, could, it couldn't go any lower. And it was just, that's where everything changed with that decision that like, okay, I did this to myself and I'm going to get myself out. And I just believe that like, if you use your mindset the right way, like if you're backed in the corner, but you choose to learn from things, if you choose to take accountability, you have the resources to figure it out. So I didn't know at that time, I just knew that I was not going to accept like going bankrupt because I felt like I had put myself in that situation and it was my fault to, and it was my responsibility to get out. And then everything just, you know, of course it took time to figure that out. In a year, I was able to create a business, though, that erased all that debt, and I've never had debt ever since then. And it, it was just such a great learning experience, both um, that I was not going to accept that of myself anymore, but also just the internal resources that 
if you believe you can make it happen and if you're pushed against the wall and you want to take accountability, like you will figure it out. And I just believe that your mind has so many resources. We don't, sometimes we don't get put to the position where we need to force ourselves enough to make that happen. But I truly believe that when the stakes are high enough, if you allow yourself to thrive, if you allow yourself to come through, like you can make anything happen. I've done it time and time again since. And that's kind of why I'm a mindset guy right now is I just, I believe that you have tools that you're not tapping into. There's things in front of you that you're not seeing, right? Yeah. Hundred percent, and and I'll tell you this, and and I can see you as being a guy, and knowing you a little bit like I do, I can see you being a guy that just said, if everybody's going right, I'm going left. If everybody's going north, I'm going to head south. And we've got so many people in our world and our society today, Simon, that want to follow the crowd or follow the trends or follow the influencers or, or follow this thinking, okay, if I replicate that behavior and the difference is, and I love what you said about replicating the behavior when you worked at the country club and, and, and I see people that's good behavior to replicate because those people were most of them i would have to think were self-made right and now we've got influencers and all these other people and people want to follow the the crowd there and it's like man you got to realize that that those people are not probably who you think you are and if you take their mindset man you're going to veer off and, and it's going to be bad news take me through another obstacle in your life that you overcame and the biggest lesson you learned from it? I think um, one thing, one obstacle that I had was, and I know you probably wanted to touch on this. So I had uh, been given an opportunity to help a one-year-old boy that I saw that was abused and neglected. We had, um, someone that was uh, uh, somewhat of a relative of us, of us. We were, we tuned into the situation where we knew a boy was not being cared for properly. He was one years old and my wife and I we were just, you know, it was just the two of us. We had no plans at the time to have children of our own, but we saw something that was wrong and we needed to take action. And my wife shows up to my work one day and this was after <laughs> my my business crashed. So the, the one that got me out of debt, that went well for eight years and then it crashed again and I had to get a job and it turned out to be a blessing. But at the time, it, you know, it, 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 did, it felt like going to jail. <laughs> I was just barely getting going and recovering from the wounds of, of my business failure. Uh, but we had the opportunity to take a boy in and we did it without even, there was no question. My wife said, we're taking this boy in today. We raised funds from that. Like we got people to donate toys and books and bedding. And within two or three days, we had this boy set up in our home. And once he was with us, we knew that we couldn't let him go back. We had seen things that just made us just know that we had to fight for this boy. And you know, at the time, my my I was just starting a new new sales role, and I hadn't built my business yet. But uh, you know, that was another area where, like, I I was pushed to create something. 
Like I had to raise money to keep him in our home. We couldn't let him go back. So we, we, you know, ultimately it was an $80,000 legal case that lasted over several years. And, you know, we ended up being able to adopt him, but that boy taught me to care for other people on a level that I hadn't experienced in the past. In the past. It, it taught me how to create money. It taught me how to raise funds. It taught me to really tap into a higher purpose, right? Like I needed to defend this boy. I would never let him go back to the situation he was uh, before. And, um, you know, it ended up being such a blessing, right? It, it taught me about giving. It taught me about philanthropy. It taught me about the resources that we have inside of us and the unlimited abundance and energy when you put someone in front of yourself. And he helped me become a father. And now I have two other daughters. So I have a, a family of five, my wife and three children, one of them adopted after a five-year legal battle. But that was another very um, tough time in my life that I was able to overcome. And ultimately, it, it taught me so many things and just such a blessing looking back on that. And the, the uh, I have an adopted sister. She's 17 years younger than I am. And I know the power of taking, and my sister was abused and neglected. And I understand that very well, Simon, because again, you don't realize what kids go through. And an adoption is so powerful that you open up not only your home, but your heart to those kids, man. And so this is absolutely the perfect time in this podcast. And, and you know, we end every podcast with this, Simon. Give us your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. My biggest piece of intentional encouragement, I would say the thing that I would like to impart with your guests is there's a book written. It's called the five um, regrets of the dying. Brian It was written by a palliative nurse, a, a nurse that sees people, you know, in their last two weeks or the last month of their life and the number one regret of the dying is i wish i wouldn't have lived a life based on the expectations of others instead of a life that is true to myself what that means is that we spend so much time caring about what other people think or doing things based on the expectations of our parents or of society right do not let yourself get to that time in your life where you become someone who's being interviewed about things you can change. Yeah. Take action right now. Yeah. Live a life that is true to yourself. Live a life of intention that is of your core values, that is that childhood version of yourself. Do not become that statistic. Do not become someone who wishes they would have done that because time is running out. Every day that you live is a day that, you know, is past. Yeah. If you don't take advantage of that time, you can get to that point where you have that regret. Learn from other people and be intentional about your life and how you live right now. Live a life that is true to yourself. Man, what a what an outstanding way to end our conversation. Simon, man, we could have gone another hour or so, but I want to be respectful of your time and the audience's time. Tell folks how they can connect with you on your different social media platforms. So right now I'm most prominent on LinkedIn. I think you left the, um, uh, find me on LinkedIn, Simon Parsons. Uh, my handle is uh, linkedin.com Simon W Parsons one. 
You can also find me on Instagram, Simon Parsons 76. I would love to connect with you. I love to put out content that is inspiring and also gets you thinking. I love to exude passion in the stuff that I put out. But most of all, like just like Brian, I want to I want people to connect on a deeper level. I'm all about deep connections and not wide. Man, I love that. Simon Parsons, man, this has been such a good episode. Again, go to LinkedIn, Simon W. Parsons 1. That's S-I-M-O-N-W-P-A-R-S-O-N-S 1 on LinkedIn or Simon Parsons 76 on Instagram. Simon, man, you're the best, brother. I really appreciate you joining me on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thank you so much. I, it was a pleasure being here. It was such an honor. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.